Hello. Today's edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast is for January 16th, 2022. My name is Richard Lanford. I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. This sermon is called The Uncommon Good. Un being in parentheses. The Uncommon Good. It's borrowed from, it's the title of another of a book by Jim Wallace, who was one of my theological heroes. And um, the sermon is mostly based on the epistle reading um, for the good of all or for the common good. That's what the Spirit has given to the believers to use our gifts for, for the common good. Or in the face of the world, the good we bring may be the uncommon good. The scriptures are read by our lector, Katie Shirky Aguayo. We hear passages from Isaiah 62, 1 Corinthians 12, and the Gospel of John, chapter 2. I hope you enjoy this message, which does include elements of the commemoration of the birth and life, really the life, of Martin Luther King Jr. on this holiday weekend. Before going further, I invite you to join me in a spirit of prayer. Marvelous, magnificent God, mysterious God, we come to this time of listening and humbly ask the blessing and the movement of your spirit in our minds and hearts and spirit, that we may hear what you would have us hear, that we may think about it afterwards in ways that are guided by your spirit, and that we may be blessed in a way that we can turn and bless others, or at least to be built up in our own spiritual life. These blessings we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now... Here's Katie. The first reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. As he has been writing in the chapters immediately prior, Isaiah continues to proclaim Jerusalem's coming vindication after Israel has been in exile. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11. through 11. This passage opens a three-chapter section on the gifts of the Spirit, and Paul relates them to the church. Paul wrote, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed, 
and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. This ends the reading from 1 Corinthians. Will those who are able please rise for the reading of the Gospel lesson? It is John, it is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. A major theme of the Sundays after Epiphany is that of Christ revealing himself to those around him in one way or another. Here is one such story found only in John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out, and take it to the chief steward, so they took it. When the steward tasted the water that, the, that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This ends the reading from John and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. When I was a middler at seminary, uh, that is the term for a student's second of the usual three years for a Master of Divinity degree. When I was a middler, many of you know I had a serious girlfriend. Uh, my first, not being a Robert Redford or Brad Pitt or Tom Holland, and not having developed a healthy self-esteem, she proved to me that I could be loved. She even made the first move. I cannot believe that I am the only one who ever felt like that. You meet someone and after a bit realize that, hey, this person actually cares for me. This person loves me and wants to spend time with me. I'm not talking necessarily about feeling unworthy of love, but being surprised that it actually came to you. 
it is both affirming and humbling. So it may have been for the people of Israel, Judea actually, after who had undergone international troubles with neighboring powers thanks to their kings, ending ultimately in the 70-year exile in Babylon. The people had a super rough ride as a nation, even displaced from the promised land. Judea also believed that the Lord had broken his covenant promises, that there would always be a descendant of David on their throne and would always be with them. Then Cyrus of Persia defeated the Babylonians and said they could return to Jerusalem, but still pay tribute to him. People like Nehemiah went back, but it was a dumpster of a site to start. There was, however, there were, however, more than one or two words from the Lord, and Katie got to read some of them to you this morning. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a diadem, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall be called, my delight is in her, for the Lord delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It sounds like last week's reading from Isaiah, from the same era. God told Israel, I have called you by name, you are mine. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. I can imagine the people of God who thought God had forgotten them, even chose to abandon them, needed to hear that. They were loved by God and honored by God after all. Now, it's my casual observation, maybe not so casual, but it's my observation that a lot of folks are good at showing love, but not so comfortable with receiving love. I just want to lift up my particular thought that, by and large, folks are more comfortable showing their love for others than coming to grips with the fact that someone loves you. In this case, it's Almighty God. God does love you. It's good to sit with that. It's affirming and humbling. It also somehow contributes to the common good, which you know, points to the sermon title in a way. It also somehow contributes to the common good by being a down deep fulcrum of our well-being. When we respond to this faith truth that God loves us, that we might kind of maybe not think comfortably about so much and then show this love that is also for the common good because that means our love for God and others triggered by God's love for us inspired by God's love for us flowing from God's love for us will emerge out from us bringing light to a world in shadow and smoke remember the parable of the good samaritan you may know that I despise the use or misuse of that phrase by members of the media when it's used to refer to someone who helps a needy, troubled, endangered, perhaps, stranger. It's great that someone helps like that. It helps, it's part of the common good. But it waters down the parable's message. 
which is tied to the uncommon good. The parable told by a Jewish carpenter rabbi to fellow Jewish believers presumes that well, the person who's been beat up and left for dead on the Jericho Road is one of them. The Jewish priest and the Levite, however, do not stop and help their fellow Israelite. But believe it or not, a Samaritan does. Samaritans and Jews, as we've been told, largely hated each other. Blood had been shed by both sides. They would not be confused as allies, but adversaries. All the same, this would-be hostile Samaritan, this dude is the one who stops and helps the guy which endangered him because who knew if the bandits were even like hiding and were going to, you know, attack this guy too. This guy is the one who stops, helps the guy, takes him to an inn, pays for his keep for the next couple of days, and then gives something extra if that's needed before he comes back on his return trip. Helping someone that you despise or someone you're afraid of or in a dangerous situation, that's a good Samaritan. Persons such as those who receive God's love and share God's love like that truly do build the uncommon good, especially needed in times like ours. In fact, I would follow the lead of a book by Jim Wallace and label it uncommon good. Certainly, because it's not that common. Not common enough, I guess. The Samaritan showed uncommon goodness, kindness, compassion, and risk, as Jesus did with what he did and does for us. And we know, too, that he gave us the new commandment to love one another as he loved us. That's how people will know we're his disciples. And this leads me to my second point, and it does, in a way, also relate to media and faith groups. The reading from Paul, let's go to 1 Corinthians, it begins in a way that we probably forget easily, like a gloss is over. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand. Paul is against misinformation when it comes to the things of God and the spiritual gifts of God. Oh, and how much misinformation do you, I, and our society receive? Things can change so rapidly. Last week's truth gets updated and is no longer helpful, so we're not even sure, okay, what's happening next week? There's a line in a hymn, which may be applied in other situations, time makes ancient good uncouth. But sometimes the misinformation originates not from an unknowing or untrustworthy source, but from those who claim to speak for God themselves and get the message so very wrong. For example, a few nights ago on cable news, someone referred to a white Christian nationalist movement. Now, there are certainly white nationalist movements, usually but not always having an affiliated militia, and uh, bearing the heresy of white supremacy. What on earth has Christianity to do with any of that? There is no common or uncommon good Jesus was not white. He was first century brown Jewish. 
There was no white America, really no America, or at least not United States. There was no free democratic republic that we are aware of and that we know, that we grew up with. And it was Jesus who told the parable of the Good Samaritan, which promoted not separatism, not elitism, but breaking ethnic barriers. This teaching was all about the realm of God or the reign of God, the kingdom of God, which clings to no countries, barriers, or boundaries or borders. God's global realm is not nationalism. Jesus also preached nonviolence, which Martin Luther King Jr. espoused, not gun-toting in search of an excuse to shoot. Whites do not corner the market on faith in Jesus Christ. Any white Christian nationalist movement has nothing remotely Christian about it. It is misinformation about the real people of the good news. Paul said he did not want his fellow Christians to be uninformed. To the extent that gospel-understanding disciples of Jesus are totally silent on this taking of the Lord's name in vain, the more folks outside the church and maybe some less informed on the inside may not only be uninformed, but also misinformed about character traits of Christian faith and practice. The more folks are taught once again instead that we in the church at our best are about love and service and forgiveness and salvation and creative nonviolence and peace and justice, the better educated, the more, the better educated, the greater the common good will be. Well, that's what the faith is about. The church will be increasingly seen as part of the common good and the way we show love part of an uncommon good. You are loved by God. Also, let us not hear the term white Christian nationalist without speaking up to refute it. And let us continue to use what God has given us to serve that common good of which Paul wrote. A common good for which King and others labored, marched, prayed, sacrificed, and preached without calls for violence. Rather, calls against violence. Because hate cannot drive out hate or violence, violence, but only love can drive out hate. Now, there are varieties of gifts, Paul said. There's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who inspires all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. For the common good. Now it is true that the spiritual gifts Paul proceeds to give examples of include some that are not part of our church culture, like speaking in tongues or interpreting such, but knowledge, wisdom, and others are more familiar. Later in the chapter, he lifts up teaching and also includes, quote, forms of assistance, forms of leadership. As these also proceed from God the Spirit, they are also given for the common good. The common good certainly means the common good of the Corinthian church or any community of faith. We also believe that God so loved the world that Jesus was given. Paul himself said in Galatians for us to do good to all people and not only to those of the household of faith. This Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, it's appropriate to think of such works for the common good and uncommon good 
in pursuit of racial equality and equal rights and an end to poverty. It was indeed for the common and uncommon good that Reverend Dr. King worked for civil rights and then against poverty and militarism at home and globally. In his sermon on the parable of the old fool who built bigger barns to keep his increased harvest to himself, called the man who was a fool, he preached words that you may know or be familiar with some of. I quote, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be, he said, what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality, end quote. Tied in a single garment of destiny, speaking and working for the common good of all economic classes and races lifts all of us up because we're all part of each other. We have an interdependence. King said this is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. The belief in the common good, this, it's also heard in another phrase you've heard and read, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice that is undeterred, unconfronted, actually greases the rails for its progress. Inactivity and silence are accomplices in the perpetuation of injustice of all kinds, and that ought not be the disciples' path when we use the Spirit's many gifts on behalf of the common or uncommon good grounded in love like Christ's. And lots of white folks got King's point. If we speak of Selma, white folks like Violet Liuzzo, Jim Letherer, Reverend James Reeb and Jonathan Daniels were martyrs to the cause, too, as the year before were Michael Schwerner and Andrew Goodman in Mississippi. All will be elevated. Those who stood for oppression and segregation needed, she said, to be free from those ugly demonic dynamics when all would be free. There was freedom needed of various kinds for everyone. King said that the cause was not defined by race so much as by humanity, being delivered from inhumanity within one's own self or generation was for the common good, as was legalization and expansion of voting rights for black Americans, a single garment. And now we find the rolling back of voting rights and access to the ballot boxes once more. When the Supreme Court knocked out the guts of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, forces against the common good got cracking. Houston's Harris County, and a lot of you may know this, Houston's Harris County with 4.7 million people, 4.7 million people in Harris County, they will have one ballot box to drop off their ballots in, one drop-off box for the whole county. Each Texas county gets one drop-off box for their ballot. It's time for those who use God's gifts for the common good. Take note 
and rise up how we might be able to in voice and vigilance. Because we know that not everyone is led by the Spirit whose gifts are to be used for the common and sometimes, in grace, uncommon good. Does the church dare to participate in silence? Amen. I got a few positive comments after the preaching of this sermon on January 16th, so I hope that you have some positive thoughts about it as well, but uh, to each their own, and uh, we live in hope, do we not? That does it for this week's edition of The Red-Headed Preacher. Uh, God willing, I'll be back next weekend with another edition from the pulpit of St. Peter's UCC in Skokie, Illinois. Until then, may God bless your week.